You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Christopher Media, let's make some noise. It's not the body parts I'm interested in. Meet Candida Royale, a naughty film actress turned director. You are a true pioneer. Thanks very much for being with us. Women we can relate to. Oh my gosh, is this what I have to look like to turn on my husband? I would like to also thank the Senate for its concern for women. I do a line that, that speaks to women's values about sexuality. Equal pleasuring. We don't have anything that teaches us how to be a wonderful lover, how to pleasure each other. Our sexuality is so important. While you were gone, the untold story of Candida Royale. I'm looking to um, find, uh, either find or find information about my birth mother. When you leave a baby at 18 months, which is what I was, um, that is exactly the age that an infant begins to crawl away from mommy and then turn back to make sure mommy is still there. I was brought up to believe that she abandoned us, which I learned later wasn't exactly the case, but that really is very destructive. Three years ago, I was diagnosed with stage three ovarian cancer. I've been in many, many documentaries, been asked a lot of questions in a lot of interviews, but I always skirted this issue because I wanted to tell the story my way at the right time. And now it's time. I don't have a lot of time left. What's really in my heart now is this last piece of important unfinished business. I found your mother's birth certificate. While you were gone, I mean, she was basically gone my entire life. My life took place in her absence. I would like to know what happened to her in her life. Where did she go? Why did she leave? Did she ever talk about us? Did she miss us? So, this is my life after you left, Mom. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I'm talking to Shauna McDonald, the director of Candice, a documentary about Candida Royale. You might remember us talking about it with Candida a few years ago. Well, this is it. The documentary is now available. Be sure to check out CandiceTheMovie.com and enjoy this interview. I want to know more about you and specifically your career, and I'm very curious how you got into film production. I was a kid who was always curious about documentary. Like I was watching up here, the fifth estate or 60 minutes and news stories, real stories from quite a young age. 
And then I did do some acting in my teens and thought that that was the route I was going to go. And then ended up coming back and doing a program about 25 years ago, making documentaries and so a production program. But I sort of that was my focus was documentaries. And I made a couple of films in that program, one about a woman who had breast cancer um, and I'd read her book and she was a mom of one of my friends. So I did that little film and then I made a film about domestic violence. So I sort of got into production and exploring a curiosity around worlds that I didn't know and, and sometimes taboo subjects and sometimes sort of darker subject matter. And then I sort of veered off and, and worked in drama as a script supervisor, but came back to documentary after I'd had my first kid around 2005. Yeah, because I noticed you had done production assistant work on like The Sweet Hereafter. I mean, great Canadian classic film. Mm-hmm. If 1997 <laughs> could be considered classic, but at this point, sure. It kind of is. Yeah, it's a while ago, right? Well, my kids think that things that happened in 2012 are old history. <laughs> Well, tell me about your documentary work. What leads you to certain subjects? Some of them I pursue, and then I think a lot of them end up funnily finding me. And then as they find me, I start to put out feelers and find people. Like It feels like a very symbiotic process often. So out of school, I got a call from the guy who was in the film about domestic violence and he was doing some work with men in a prison and he asked they wanted to tell their stories to benefit youth so I was 22 at the time and I was like okay I'll come and meet with these men all in for life here which doesn't mean life in the same way it does in some states so I spent five years making that film and then after I was working in film and I was like, no, I've got to get back to making documentaries. My husband came to me with a newspaper article about a woman, about an organization called Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, where photographers are paired with families who are losing a child and take photos of the family and that child. And he said this would make a great film. So I was like, started to pursue that, found a photographer in Toronto, which was where I was living at the time. And then we kind of waited for families who are willing to participate, which is a really hard ask. So I got the Children's Hospital Sick Kids in Toronto on board for that. And they were waiting for a family they felt would be willing to participate and able to handle participating. Yeah, so the subjects come out of curiosities, out of stories, out of meeting people. They just sort of arrive. <laughs> and some and some are... Um, you're chasing and other ones are like pushing a boulder up a hill. When was the first time you ever heard of Candida Royale? I didn't hear of Candida until I started to pursue a film. I got curious about women as the end users of pornography. I was like, we don't hear about this. We don't hear about women watching porn, at least in my world, in my circles. I mean, I had friends who were candid about a lot of things, but not watching porn or using porn in their lives. So I started to get curious about that. And so started to look at ethical porn, porn for women, what that looked like, um, sort of a combination of those things. And so in doing that research, of course, came across Candida's name and work and uh, so pursued her for an interview around that film, which ended up changing shape and becoming more about uh, female sexuality and shame. And I called her up to ask her if she would be willing to participate more heavily in that film. And she said, 
Yeah, I would. And I, she'd remember doing the interview with me and said she was looking for someone to help her tell her story and wondered if I'd be willing to do that. So I said, okay. <laughs> so there, there we were. So that documentary, Inside Her Sex, came out in, I think, 2014. Yes. When were you interviewing her the first time? I first interviewed her in the summer of 2013. How many times did you interview her for the Candace documentary? To do more work on Insider Sex, I went back. I guess I talked to her at the end of 2013. Sort of, I first interviewed her in July of 2013 and called her up in October, November. And then I think I went back around the end of 2013, maybe early 2014, to do more work. And at the same time, we sort of spun up the phone call where she uh, is um, calling the private investigator. So we sort of tag teamed it uh, around both films. And so I started interviewing her then. I think we probably got together seven or eight times over the next three years in various places. So obviously we went to San Francisco together. I went to New York two or three times, maybe four times, a couple times out to her place. We went down to St. Louis. I think probably would have kept going. Probably would have kind of done a couple more shoots if I'd had my way. But then I got a job on a series where I was working in an emergency room at the beginning of 2015. I saw her that May and then I went, came back to work uh, May to September and she passed away that September. Yeah. How are you balancing the interviews? You know, you talked about you're working on insider sex as you're working on starting the Candace documentary and then you're working on emergency room, you're working on love it or listed. I mean, how do you balance all that? I have three kids too. Jeez. <laughs> um, you don't. I mean, I've started to think of balance in my life uh, over longer periods of time. So, yeah, I mean, this year has been, it's been a couple quiet years in the last two years, 2016 through 2019, 2018, not so busy. And then this year I finished Candace. I finished another film I started a couple of years ago called A Short Essay on Men, Dismay as well. And then I have a film in production and another short uh, in production. So it's just a busy year. So there isn't really balance, but it's not full-time. A lot of it's thinking time. Candace was a hard film to make. It was a hard film to make. One, because there was never money for it. It was never, it never felt easy. It never felt like, okay, well, now we go. I had different editors work on it, but couldn't um, pay anybody enough to stay around for long enough so it would come back to me. And it just felt like there were a lot of things to balance in that film. There was her career, like the story just of her looking for her mom isn't as interesting if you don't know who she is. And the story of cancer, there's lots of stories of cancer. So there was a, about, but I didn't just want to make a film about her career um, because I knew there were stories that she wanted to tell. That's what she'd been clear about. She wanted to tell her own story in her own words. And so it's different from a bio doc that you usually see in that way. There's no one else weighing in. It's just her story. Well, yeah, I've talked with her, or I talked with her a long time ago, and she definitely knows her own mind. So I can't, imagine what it was like having her as a documentary subject. She was, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. She was very giving as a subject. There were, were a few places she wasn't willing to go. And in the shooting, 
I didn't find her to, she didn't question what I was shooting or what I was asking or where we were going or what we were going to do. She was actually a very willing participant. She did ask to, the last time we spent together, she asked to see everything. She said she wanted to look at everything. And I said, no, I gave her some footage to look at. And I think probably in hindsight, that was a mistake. I think that her, probably her wanting to see everything was a desire to have some control because she was the last few months of her life. So even if I'd acquiesced and provided her the footage, I don't think she would have had a chance to watch it. That was a challenge as a director in any subject. I would have said no to that, but I think that's where the request came from. So that might've been an error on my part, not sort of realizing how extraordinary the circumstances were. So how do you find that balance? I mean, I imagine you find a lot of it in the editing room, but what's your actual method to say, I'm going to spend this amount of time talking about her past, this much on the cancer that she's fighting, this much on the search for her mother and the information? I mean, what's that like? How do you map that out? Yeah, I mean, this film took four or five years to edit. So it took a lot of mapping out, building scenes, seeing what was interesting, seeing if what was interesting to me um, was interesting to other people, showing it to people. One of the challenges all along was understanding the stakes. Like at, at first I wanted to keep who like her career a surprise, but as audiences are sophisticated these days and don't have a lot of tolerance time-wise. So I didn't, you know, it's like, if you don't know who she is, do you care if she's looking for her mom? And unfortunately, the answer seemed to be no. So I had to sort of put her career closer to the front. And funnily, right near the end of it, I was like, I have to stop making this film. I just have to put it out there in the world. The weight of it was too much and the time too much and the money too much, everything. So I was like, I just have to finish. And I showed a cut to my husband, who also works in the industry, uh, right at the sort of 11th hour. And he watched it and he's like, the whole film's good, but the stakes aren't high enough up off the top. And I was like, I know it's been the same note for eight months or 10, like it's the same note. And he said, well, what if you take the scene with the doctor, which was probably a third of the way in and just put it up front. And so I did. And I was like, yep, <laughs> yep. You know, from the get go, she's got cancer and, and she's had it a few times, and this is why she wants to tell her story. And so I think it was the strongest choice, and it was literally the last minute. So the process, if I'd kept editing another year, it would have changed more. So um, you, you just pick a, pick a stop point sometimes and feel the balance. I think it's a feel and feedback and somewhat organic process. And you only have the footage you have. You introduce a ticking clock right off the bat. Yeah, and it does give you the why. Why is she why is she looking for her mom who's been gone for 62 years at that point? Like what what's the incentive? And I think that part of it was the ticket clock and I think that part of it which would have been harder to show is that we turned the camera on it. Tell me about that. Tell me about the search and how involved were you with the actual search that she was undergoing? I wasn't hugely involved. So she got in touch with Lynn. Um she got in touch with a couple private investigators, but she got in touch with Lynn and then Lynn got on board. I wasn't able to fly to New York to film that. So someone else filmed that interview where she and Lynn are sitting and talking, but Lynn came back and said, I have information. And so Candace, when she set out, she didn't know if her mom was dead or alive. It was possible. Her mom had her when she was 23 and Candace started looking for her around when she was 62. So it was conceivable that her mom would be alive. 
and she thought that her brother Jimmy was dead. I can't remember why she had thought that, but she'd been told at one point that he had died or someone had, either her sister or someone had told her that. So that was the search. So obviously that turned a little bit sideways in terms of what she thought she knew and what she didn't know. But um, yeah, I wasn't hugely involved. Going down to St. Louis was obviously a big part of that search. And I was there for that shoot. I was behind the camera filming that. And, um, and that was interesting and pivotal. Okay, so this is not super easy for you to just jump on a flight to St. Louis. I mean, it's not like San Francisco, where I imagine it's a little easier, or Washington, which would probably be the easiest. Yeah, I mean, San Francisco wasn't, it was fine, as you say. Uh, St. Louis, we knew it was a one-off trip, but certainly Candace being out in at the tip of Long Island in New York was a greater challenge for me. And at that point, my kids, when we started filming, my kids are nine, 12 and 15 now. So that was six years ago. So I had a three-year-old. So, um, so three to six as I was filming, I don't know, you go, you do your best and you go and you put other people in place and things tend to, to work out. You kind of get what you need or you get what you get and you make it work. With your next documentary subject, are you going to try to choose somebody who's a little closer to home? Uh, funnily, I'm working on a film. Um, well, I have two. I have a short film that I'm working on, which is up in Yellowknife, which is up in the Northwest Territories. So, no, that's a three-hour flight away, but it's a short film, so I only have to go up a couple times. And then I have a longer film, although the subject did live in Vancouver at one point. It's I've shot in Halifax already for it in Toronto a couple times. So, no, you, <laughs> they're not that contained generally. I'm very curious about the footage from things like Donahue and some of the other shows that you managed to procure and how you managed to get that. So the footage is out there. She had it. She gave me VHS tapes. She was on lots of stuff. And I think that that material is really relevant. And one could argue that it, um, that there's a fair use component to it because she's in it and it's a film about her, but it's really shows that she was able to bring that subject into the mainstream in a way that I'm not sure it exists in the mainstream now. I think that that's a a real shame. And I I wish that more people knew about her and about what she was trying to do in the world. Yeah. I mean, and that's what I was, I've taken it to a couple of festivals so far and the audiences have been quite engaged and they've said, do you think, you know, I've been asked a couple of times, do you think that her, what she was saying, her message is still relevant? And I, you know, thinking about that, it's like, I don't think that it's still relevant. I mean, I think it is still relevant, but it's not just still relevant. It is relevant because I don't know that, I mean, we're having the hashtag me too conversation, but that's a different conversation than, than what she wanted to have. And I don't know that we're having the conversation that she was pushing us to to have. I don't I think that someone can come along now in a similar position to her and push the same conversation because I don't think it's I don't think we're comfortable with it still. I was really glad you included some of that footage of uh, Reagan and the way that he was trying to quote unquote clean up America. That was very telling of the time and also the times now. Yeah, I mean and are we looking at the right stuff and yeah, it's a, it is part of a long, larger conversation, uh, for sure. And yeah, I think it's important, even looking at the administration that is around now, and the, and how we're focusing our energies, and it all just feels a bit sideways. I almost asked you if you've ever had an, a documentary subject pass away while you're making the documentary, but that's kind of the point of capturing a short life. 
Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, for me, that film was sort of more looking at um, like a short life as a whole. So I had kids at that point. I had a daughter and I was pregnant while I was making that film. And I had parents say to me, oh, my gosh, I could never uh, watch that film. Or how did you make that film? I said, well, I couldn't have made it if I wasn't a parent because I wouldn't have understood the weight. But it was more looking at, at the idea that a short life is a whole life and the relationship that those parents have with those children is as important and as long as those of us whose children live. And so it was, and, and yet also I didn't want to sort of drown in the sentimentality of that subject matter. So it was looking at how parents talk about those kids, how it's taboo to talk about a child who dies, how other people don't know what to say when someone's lost a child so there was a lot in it without getting into the, oh my gosh, it's so horribly sad that these children have died. It's almost like, yeah, we know that. So then what else do we have to say about the subject? So yes, uh, well, we were making that one, three of the families that we worked with, the children had already that passed away. But um, And one family who's in it, although it looked like their child was going to die, she's still alive. And then there was one little girl, Lydia, who did pass away while we were making it. What was it like for you when you found out that Candace had passed or had you pretty much known that it was going to happen any time now? Yeah, I wasn't. Um, she was quite upset at me that I hadn't shared the footage with her. And then I think she got sick quite quickly. And I was in an emergency room, uh, speaking of people passing away while working with them, uh, in an emergency room for about five months, like eight hours a day. So I just didn't, I didn't spend a lot of time with her after we last shot. So I did know that I think I called early September, maybe September 2nd or 3rd, and she passed away on the 7th. So I did know it was coming, but I wasn't involved in the last few months of her life. Well, you touched a little bit about how the film's been received. I'm curious where it's played and some of the other audience reactions that you've gotten. It's played in Vancouver at the DOXA Film Festival, and it played at the San Francisco San Fran Documentary Festival, and it will play in Berlin in October, and then we're waiting to hear about a bunch of other festivals. It's a, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a tough game. It's a tough game making docs and then getting them seen. I haven't been able to secure a broadcaster for it at this point, so I'm still sort of working on that and looking at that, wondering about whether HBO might be interested in it, sort of as a companion to the deuce. So we're sort of figuring out how best to put it out there and get it out there and then hoping to have it sort of on demand on iTunes or similar platforms at the end of the year. The audiences have been really receptive on the whole. I think that as we were just talking about, that message is still interesting. And so there are people who didn't know about her, but are applauding her work and, really seem engaged her sister and some of her friends, Annie Sprinkle and Beth Stevens and um, other people who had known her uh, when she was in San Francisco came out in San Francisco to see it, which was lovely. And um, so it's a different look for people who know her. It's, I think it's a really emotional film to see her sick through a lot of it, but also to hear her talk about her life and explain her work and to see her work and, to bring it to this generation. So it's, it's been well-received where we've shown it. Where's the best place for people to keep up with the doc? There's a website, candismovie.com, and there's a newsletter 
uh, link on there on the first page. So if you sign up for the newsletter, I just I don't <laughs> won't inundate people, but I will say, hey, it's going to play here and here, and I'll I'll update that list and update the website when it's available on iTunes and can be seen or for broadcast or wherever we get it out to. Are you still doing the TV work as well as also doing these two other documentaries? I'm not. I'm just doing them at the moment, and we're just waiting. I just got a bunch of funding applications in for the feature-length one. And so in Canada, you sort of, if you go through the system that we have, you apply for a bunch of funding, and then you wait, even when you're in production. So we'll wait to hear about that until September, and then that would be sort of three to four weeks of shooting, October, November, and then starting to edit before we finish shooting with the, the objective of completing next spring so that would be quite full time the other one will take a little bit longer to do no my husband's working a lot at the moment so I'm sort of doing the other 95% of that and fitting my work in where I can well Shauna thank you so much for your time today this was great thank you Mike thank you for the interest and um, I know you had spoken with Candace a lot so I really appreciate you reaching out
If you enjoy this show and want more people to know about it, head on over to iTunes, leave a comment, and rate it five stars. Make sure you like and share us on Facebook, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Just search for Christopher Media. Thank you in advance for supporting Christopher Media by clicking on the PayPal button and by clicking through to all the sponsors who support ChristopherMedia.net. Most importantly, we would like to take the time to extend an extra special thanks to you. Christopher Media could not exist without your support. Thank you for visiting ChristopherMedia.net, and thank you for listening. Christopher Media, let's make some noise.